Welcome everybody to another Healthynomics podcast. Uh, today I'm really excited to be chatting with James Clear. James is an entrepreneur, weightlifter, and travel photographer. Most of his work can be found on PassivePanda.com and JamesClear.com, where James covers topics like entrepreneurship, creativity, business strategy, and networking. Um, I feel like I've uh, got quite a similar background to James in that uh, he's got a a biomechanics and exercise science background like myself and uh, both sort of uh, into the, the business world as well. Uh, James, I'd like to welcome you and uh, thanks so much for your time. Hey, thanks Mark. I'm happy to be here. That's great. Um, so to get the ball running, why don't you give me a bit more of a background or give us the, the listeners a bit more of a background of yourself. I gave a, a brief background, so uh, I'll let you uh, give a bit of intro. Sure. So I'll let you know how I got started and why I went in, in a particular direction, and then we can dive into the whole um, health side of things and wellness side of things and sort of take it from there. I, I uh, first started as an entrepreneur a couple of years ago, and like you said, I had a degree in biomechanics in undergrad, and so I've always been a science guy. I've always been interested in that. After um, undergrad, I went to grad school to get my MBA, and while I was there, I was I was studying business, obviously, but I was also taking classes in health policy and uh, biochemistry, and you know, just sort of a couple science classes here and there. And I was working at an orthopedic medical practice, and I really enjoyed my time there. I loved it a lot. I love health and medicine, but. I saw a lot of the physicians who were sort of getting jaded by the system a little bit after working for a couple of years. Or they, it was this weird thing where they were doing work that was really helping people and was very important and they were making good money, but they were sort of, I don't know, they were sort of trapped or like locked into their mm -hmm. lifestyle. And I've always been like very much an explorer. Um, I think you mentioned in the beginning, I do travel photography. I think in the last last two or three years, I've been to 15 or 16 countries. Um, I'll be going to Switzerland and Italy next month. So I'm always like very much towards that, that explorer travel adventure side of things. And so I didn't want to get locked into, you know, into some type of um, career where I felt like I didn't have that choice or freedom. And mm -hmm. so although I love medicine, um, I didn't want to have that happen. So while I was in business school, I'm working in medicine on this one side. And then on the other side, I'm working in the center for entrepreneurship in my MBA program. And so I'm getting to see all these businesses that are being started and, you know, exciting entrepreneurs who are building things. And I was like, you know what, maybe I could do this too. And it could be a really cool way for me to make money at, that could potentially pay for me going to medical school down the line. Or if I decide I don't want to do that, then it'll just be able to give me the freedom to travel and do these adventurous things that I talked about. Yeah. So that was sort of how I got started with it. And I started, I finished my program and started uh, online about two, a little over two years ago now, just, just a little over two years. Um, and it's been great. I, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, it's been a huge learning experience, but at the same time, it's also been laying this foundation for what I see to be my life's work. And so what that is, is twofold. First, you have the health and wellness practitioner side, and that's the, mm -hmm. the medical school side, the, you know, working with clients. I'm a certified strength conditioning specialist, so I've oh, trained... Yeah, okay. um, I've trained anyone from, you know, professional volleyball players all the way down to like seven or eight year olds. So a wide range of clients there. I love that, right? I love being an athlete. Um, I played baseball in undergrad and was a pitcher. My dad played briefly in the minor leagues for the St. Louis Cardinals. So I've always been around sports. Um, yeah. And so through all these different touch points, you have like the practice of health and medicine and what it means to live a healthy life and be athletic and, and you know, just enjoy living a vibrant, healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So that's one end. And then the other end is the the entrepreneurship side, the online business side. And I see that as a platform for spreading ideas, right? Like if you really believe in something, then you have to have a platform for spreading it to as many people as possible. And nothing spreads like the web does. So I figured I should spend a couple of years learning how do you grow a business online? How do you build an audience online? And now that I have those skills and I've acquired that, that's what jamesclear.com is, is sort of my hub for talking about health and wellness and what it means to live a healthy life and then spreading those ideas to as many people as possible. And then hopefully, you know, I'll uh, go to med school here in the next year or two and, and bring the practice side of it in as well. 
Oh, so you are planning to go to med school. Yeah, I'm actually studying for the MCAT right now. Um, I will always be an entrepreneur. Yeah. After, uh, after, <laughs> it's in your blood. Yeah, it is. And after the last couple of years, like, there comes a point, you know, in the beginning, it's like, can I make this work? And you're struggling to make your first sales or just figure out how to, you know, how do you build an audience or get people to pay attention to you at all? How do you create something from nothing? And then there gets to be this little tipping point where it's like, you're making enough money that you're surviving and it's been, you know, six months, a year, a year and a half. And all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I, I think this is just going to keep going. Like I'm still alive, right? I'm still surviving. So I'll just figure out a way to make it work. Yeah. And, and how nice would that be to, you know, you've got some income coming in while you're, you know, studying. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people, most people come out of uh, grad school or med school with a, a ton of debt. So what a nice way to, you know, be able to do that and have that peace of mind that you've got some money coming in as well. Oh yeah, and that's exactly you bring up a great point there because that's that's one of the primary drivers or reasons why I wanted to be an entrepreneur first before going is because you see a lot of people, you know, they spend the first five years after med school paying off their debt, then they look around, they're like, Well, this doctor has a big house and a nice car, so I want a big house and a nice car and pretty soon there's like this spiral where you're spending all this money and you're sort of like locked into that lifestyle, that golden handcuffs thing. And, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and so I exactly I think that entrepreneurship provides a little bit more freedom um, with that. And like I said, if I I think I'm gonna love it, I, I don't think I'll I I will um, not enjoy it. But if I don't enjoy it, then I can always just go <laughs> do what I'm doing now, which I do love. So and and I can continue to spread health and wellness ideas. And that's been one of the best things about being an entrepreneur is that you learn that you don't need permission to make things better or to make a difference. Like you can just create something that you want to create now just because you love it and enjoy it and want to help people with it. And exactly. So I, I, it, I love that piece of it. So is there any particular um, type of medicine you're looking to study or focus on? I'm hesitant to say just because at this point I've only really had exposure to the orthopedic and sports medicine side, both as an athlete and also from working in an orthopedic practice for a little while. Mm -hmm. So obviously I love that and I loved orthopedic surgery and seeing the patients, I, pretty much all of it. Like I really enjoyed it, but I don't want to say that I want to do that over something else just because I haven't been exposed to, you know, a variety of other areas for medicine. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> I, I at one time was thinking about medical school as well and uh, physiotherapy school and I know you know sometimes it's tough to get in but I know the um, the people uh, granting admission you know that they always said the worst thing you could say is you want to be a sports physiotherapist or a sports medicine doctor because everyone wants to do that so you, you got to separate yourself from sure other people yeah, you know yeah, getting absolutely. into med school <laughs> Well, but, uh, and and I think there's a lot of exciting areas that have nothing to do with sports. I mean, you know, it's it all comes down to like where you feel like your skills are well served and where you feel like you're making an impact. Do you you know what type of patients do you really like working with? There's there's a lot of different factors. Yeah, I agree. So, um, okay, that's cool. Thanks for uh, giving us a background there. Now let's uh, let's get to sort of your personal fitness regime or lifestyle, uh, as you say. Um, so how do you stay fit? Are you, um, you know, weights, cardio? Do you play sports still? Um, give us a rundown. Sure. So when I finished playing baseball a couple of years ago, I just, you know, I had been lifting and strength training for that. And so the most of the stuff that we had learned through our strength conditioning program there was like, you know, powerlifting style stuff or modified West Side barbell program, stuff like that. So it was all strength training. Um, and I, I was raised on that anyway before I got to college, and so that's sort of always been how I was brought up. But um, in addition to that, I've also played a variety of sports, baseball, swimming, basketball, football briefly, where I was always getting my teeth knocked out, um, <laughs> and uh, soccer, you know, just a lot of different things. And so yeah. I have a, a huge respect for pretty much all physical movement and types of fitness, and I enjoy most of it. Um, today, what I do most of, the last year or so, I've been training on an Olympic lifting team out of Columbus, Ohio, and uh, that team was great. I loved it. We had, it was really nice for me because we had an Olympic coach um, and an Olympian, Holly, our best uh, female lifter. She lifted in, in London in the Olympics. Wow. And then uh, Drew and Bob are two top 10 male lifters. So, and then there was me. And so it was great for me to be around them and be able to pick things up and learn things for, you know, also 
just to see what it's like to be an Olympian, right? Like what kind of training and effort and uh, discipline is required on a daily basis. Um, all that stuff was great. Now, about six months ago, I moved from Columbus, so I haven't been able to lift on that team anymore. But uh, I'm still training on my own, strength training, um, squats, snatch, clean and jerk. Those are sort of the, the three like kingpins of my workout regimen. And right now, since the weather's starting to get better, I'm phasing into some more body weight stuff. I want to do more sprint training, and yep. uh, and I've also been doing a lot of push up and pull up training the last couple months as well. Good stuff. So um, I've got a question with regards to Olympic lifting. I mean, I've done a little bit, but um, you know, not that much. But I'm just curious, sort of, you know, a lot of people would be interested in it, and I know you know the CrossFit trend is massive right now, and people want to dive into it and. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of controversy as well because you're going into this intense type of training and you're not learning the proper t- technique. So, uh, could you give us some insight as to you know how long did it take you to learn how to do these lifts properly, and uh, um, or, or or does it take a long time? And what kind of gains have you seen from you know doing these types of lifts? Yeah, those are all great questions. Obviously, you're right. It is a big and complex topic. Um, if I was going to rank the lifts in order of complexity. I would say snatch is the most complex, the jerk being second, and then the clean being third. Um, mm-hmm. Typically, if you can get the snatch under control, your clean just sort of follows suit because it's the same movement, but your hands are just closer, um, especially for the first half of the movement. So I would say for clean and jerk, my jerk could still use work. I mean, you know, and I've been doing it for eight months or a year um, of, you know, of legitimate training, not just like doing it on my own. Um, So I would say for clean, I probably had it under control. Now, I had power cleaned in college, but I probably had a decent Olympic clean, like, you know, serviceable technique to the point where I could train three days a week on it and not worry about doing it wrong. Um, Mm -hmm probably within two or three months. Um, and then the jerk, like I said, is still very technical. And for me, I still, you know, I still could use work on that even after doing it for eight months. Snatch, same way, you know, some phases of the movement I'm very good on, some phases of the movement I'm, I need a lot of work. So um, it's, it's a constant thing. I mean, it's a spectrum too of where, you know, I mean, I, I competed in Olympic lifting meets with the technique that I have, but, you know, comparing it to top 10 weightlifters or to Olympians, I mean, my technique isn't, isn't good at all. So it's, it depends on what your goals are. You know, I mean, if you just want to get technique that's good enough to, I mean, to compete on your own or to do the lifts on a weekly basis, then, you know, a couple months of decent training or, you know, working on things should get you there. Exactly. Um, I mean, it's all about, you know, being able to, to get the gains and without you know injuring yourself so you can keep doing it yeah the my my rub you mentioned crossfit earlier i I don't have anything wrong with crossfit but i think where people get themselves in trouble with some of the olympic lifts is when you have not built the foundation for doing uh the lifts so training technique coaching all that stuff and try to do high volume with with the olympic lifts the the olympic lifts are built i mean you know in the olympics you get you do it one rep at a time and you get three in the snatch and three in the clean and jerk. So, I mean, it's a low rep, high intensity lift. Like that's, you know, that's how they are. That's how the greatest athletes in the world train for them. And then if you try to take a movement like that, that's very intense and built to be explosive and turn it into an endurance test or a high volume test, then typically your form is going to break down and you put yourself in a, in an opportunity or a circumstance where it's more likely that you'll be injured. Yeah, exactly. Now, what kind of gains have you seen from doing these types of lifts? Um, you know, on your strength, your fitness, um, cardiovascular. Oh yeah, it's huge. I mean, I think honestly, I the, the snatch is great, but I think the clean and jerk is the kingpin of all lifts. I mean, between the explosiveness, the power, the strength, the speed, it, I mean, it has pretty much everything that you could want. If there was just one exercise I could do, it would be that. Um, and I think that's translated to pretty much anything that I've that I've tried to do physically, athletically, even just day to day movements. And, you know, whether it's moving your body through space or just dealing with you know just regular lifting things up or functional movements throughout the day, um, explosiveness and speed, all that stuff. There's a translation there. Um, to give you some numbers, to give you an idea of what training there did for me, um, when I first got there and started training with the team. 
I had been living in Scotland for about four months or five months before that, and I didn't have access to a gym there, so I'd only been doing bodyweight stuff. And one of my main goals when I got there was to increase my leg strength. And so I have a, a general principle that I try to apply to my a lot of my workouts, which is to do the most important thing first. And a lot of times when you talk to people about workout programming, they'll say things like they'll base it off of energy systems or, you know, off of a bunch of other metrics. And all of them have like they're rooted in logic and reason. But for me, when it comes to practical gains, like real world gains, I would rather spend my best energy and my best focus on doing what's most important for me. So in in real world speak, or what that means is that usually I will pick a goal for that particular workout and do that thing first. And so when my goal was to increase leg strength, I always squatted first. And then I did clean and jerk and snatch after that. And that doesn't necessarily match up with um, like energy systems, workout programming or things like that, where they'll tell yeah. you to do the most explosive thing first. But what it did was it allowed me to spend my best energy, my best focus on what was most important to me. And when I got there, the first, I think the first day I worked out, my squat was way down. I think I did like 175 or 180, something like that for a couple sets of five. Mm-hmm. Four months later, I was squatting 350. And wow. the, I made that gain. So I basically doubled my back squat in, in four months. And um, that, that gain was all from the focus on, you know, this is what's most important. This is what you're going to do. And obviously the coaching and having great teammates around me and all that stuff. Um, and then in addition, you know, when it comes to the lifts, um, I think my best clean and jerk right now is around like 255, something like mm-hmm. that, 255 pounds, um, in competition. And then my best snatch is like 180, 190, somewhere around there. Um, so it's pretty good. I'd like to get to a body weight snatch. I'm, I'm pretty big. I'm six, five two ten right now. So I'd like yeah. to get to a body weight snatch sometime in the near future. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel pretty good about the progress I've made and where I've come from. It's just a slow grind. I mean, just continue to, to do what you do in the gym each day, but that gives yeah. you an idea of, of where I started and how I've come. Yeah. It's consistency. Um, one exercise I've been, um, trying to do a bit more of, um, the last few months and working on my technique is deadlifts. Um, and I've, you know, I think my technique and strengths improved a lot. Um, but the biggest gain I think I've seen, I've had a, a long run of hamstring issues, um, pulling hamstrings, and I play a lot of baseball, um, like you did, uh, and other sports, and you know, I pulled my hamstrings a lot. So I've had hamstring problems the last few years, um, and I do a lot of running now, but the, I feel like the deadlifts have really strengthened up sort of that posterior chain and um, eliminated sort of any of the hamstring issues I've had. I wonder if... Uh, you've had any experience with deadlifts or, um, you know, what your thoughts are on that exercise? Yeah, absolutely. Um, deadlifting was a huge part of our strength routine and, uh, in college for baseball and Mm -hmm. anything that you can do, like you mentioned, anything you can do to strengthen the posterior chain, you're going to see incredible benefits anytime you use your legs basically. And you know, whether that's sprinting or running, I mean, pretty much any athletic movement requires, solid control of your legs. And so deadlifts are going to have a great impact on that. I've, I've also seen significant gains from glute ham raises, um, which are also great for the posterior chain. Any type yep. of any type of single leg deadlift, barbell deadlift, sumo deadlift, straight leg, stiff leg, whatever you want to call it, all all those different variations um, are great. And then uh, yeah, and then I usually usually on my deadlift days I couple that with some type of pull in the upper body, whether that's pull ups or bent over rows or you know whatever it may be, something like that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've, I mean, I'm, I'm all in on deadlifts, so you don't have to convince me of the benefits, but it's good to hear that, that you've seen it not only increase strength, but also reverse injury, which is an interesting trend that I think, that I think people don't give enough respect to because I've seen it myself in upper body stuff. So whether it be elbow or shoulder, but the stronger I get in my upper body, not only, you know, the more powerful I am for the movements I do, but it tends to be that the things that used to bother me as an athlete, so whether that's overuse of the shoulder or the elbow or some type of inflammation, those things seem to go away more readily. And I'm not sure of the exact connection there, but uh, but it definitely has played out that way in my real world experience. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'm training for a marathon right now, and you know, but it's far from a, a power sport. But um, I've done one marathon um, prior uh, in Dublin, Ireland, a few years ago, and um, I can say you know, my legs just, you know, my cardio was fine, but my legs, you know, I got to 30k, were done. And uh, this time around, I've, um, you know, I've got a coach, and we're we're working. You know, obviously, I'm doing a lot of running, but we're really working on that strength component because, as you say, people I think underestimate the the strength component, even for you know a marathon runner. Um, and it's I can already tell in my training. You know, I get late in a long run, you know, a 20, 30k run, and I'm, my legs feel so much better. So um, yeah, it just goes to your point that uh, don't underestimate the the strength component. Oh, absolutely. And what you're mentioning there, I, I pretty much any elite um, distance athlete will, if you look at their training and what they do on a weekly basis, a lot of them incorporate deadlifts or major um, Olympic lifts, the clean or the snatch into their training and have seen significant benefits from that. So um, you're definitely not the only one who's seen that. That's uh, that's cool, though. It's great to hear about your experience. Yeah, that's good. Um all right, so let's move on a bit here. Um, one thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, uh, habits. You, you write a lot about habits on your your site, um, jamesclear.com there, and, and building habits. Um, yeah, I know for me, and you know, I, I've been working out for years, and it, I think, it just comes naturally to me now. But I think what, as far as habits go, for me, the most powerful part. It gets me working out is I've done so much of it that I know how good it makes me feel and, and, and from some of the research I've read you know limited research I've read on sort of building the habit side of things um, that's sort of one of the most powerful uh, aspects of building habits you can get is when you get to that point where you know you're working out um, and, and you're you're almost addicted to that that good feeling you get you know, during and afterwards, and you know you feel like crap when you when you don't work out. So um, maybe you could talk about a bit about your your work and the research you've done on on building habits. Yeah, absolutely. I think you bring up two really good points there. So the first is that you said you know for you it's something you don't even really think about anymore. It's just something you've done so much of that you know it's it's like who you are, and I think that the way that I term that is identity based habits and. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, if you're someone who is trying to either – this applies to a lot of different areas, but we'll take it for fitness. So if you're someone who's trying to get in shape or trying to become strong or you know working towards a fitness goal, whether it's marathon or triathlon or whatever, the most important thing before you pick up a barbell or start running that first mile is to start to develop the identity of someone who can achieve the goals that you want to achieve. And I think so often we have people who, you know, maybe you're sitting on the couch and you watch uh, a show that inspires you to lose weight or you see a YouTube clip that inspires you to go work out and we get all worked up and tied into the motivation piece and it inspires us to go do things in a really intense way and then we burn ourselves out and we, you know, we don't make this change and we feel like a failure because we didn't, you know, we didn't improve our lives in the way that we wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I think that the opposite way to think about that you know, when you when you look at the typical route that I just described, what you put at the top or what you put at the finish line or what you're looking towards or working towards is some type of performance-based goal or appearance-based goal. When you typically think about how we set goals, it's usually like, you know, I want to run a marathon in, you know, 10 minutes faster than I did before. Or I want to lift 50 pounds more than I did before 12 weeks from now. Or I want to lose 20 pounds in, in two months, whatever it is, right? These goals have very specific metrics and they're all based around our performance and our appearance. Now, when you're at the situation that you're at where you know you're going to work out no matter what because it's who you are, then those type of performance and appearance-based goals can be great because they drive you towards working harder or give you something to look at when you work out each day. But mm -hmm. when you're starting for the first time or if you're trying to get back in the habit of working out or trying to work out consistently – those goals only serve to make you feel bad if you don't reach them. Instead, I think the goal should be to start with the identity, to start with the type of person that you are. So for example, if you want to lift 50 more pounds, the type of person who could make that gain is the type of person who never misses a workout or the type of person who always works out three days a week. So mm -hmm. you should start by building the identity 
of the type of person that you want to become or the identity of the type of person who could achieve those goals. And then once you never miss a workout or once you've worked out for three straight months without missing once, then you can start to add in the performance goals or the appearance-based goals or whatever. And so I think that shift is big. And you mentioned that you know it's not something you think about because it's already who you are. That's exactly where you need to get to before you start focusing on the performance piece. Because when you look at the people who are you know, top performers in pretty much any field, the main difference is that they go to work on their craft each day more than 99% of the population does. And so if you can just get that piece handled, then you've got, you know, the majority of the battle done. You can start setting your sights on specific goals. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, sorry to cut you off there. No, no, you're fine. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen, you know, lots, lots of friends and, you know, people I know, and they... You know they they want to build the habits and they just they just try to do too much and perhaps it's like you're saying they're focused more sort of on the appearance end of the spectrum and you know they're just and they they're going crazy they're saying that, you know they go from working out zero times a week to working out six or seven times a week well I mean that's not sustainable even if you're been working out for years and years and years so you know starting small I think is a, one of the big things to me just start small and be realistic and. And move from there. Absolutely. It, it comes down to the difference between viewing it as a short-term thing where you're racing to, you know, this, this arbitrary goal or this performance goal that you set 12 weeks from now. And you're like, I have to get there. And so you work out six days a week. Comes to down to the difference between viewing it that way or viewing it as saying, this is a long-term game. I want to be healthy for the rest of my life. I want to be in the best shape of my life at the end of this year. But I also want to be in the best shape of my life at the end of next year and the year after that. And so to do that, you have to focus on building the habit first, and then the performance stuff will come later. And the second piece, which you mentioned, which I thought was great, is you said that it makes you feel good after you work out, or you know that what drives you to work out each time is you know how it makes you feel. And what you're mentioning there is what research has told us is like the reward aspect of habit formation. And mm -hmm. there are a bunch of different people who have done research on this. Um, BJ Fogg, a professor at Stanford, is the one that I learned it from first. And then um, Charles Duhigg wrote a book called The Power of Habit where he goes over a lot of the research that's been done on it. But the way that I like to describe it is called the three R's of habit formation. And every habit, no matter what, no matter if it's fitness or work or relationships or whatever you do throughout the day, follows this same pattern. And that is the first R is there's a reminder or some type of trigger or cue that causes you to do the habit that you do. The second R is routine. So it's the actual habit that the actual um, action, action that you take. And the third R is the reward, which is that feeling that you say you get or whatever the benefit is for doing the particular behavior. So for example, if your phone rings, that's the reminder, that's the trigger. And then you pick up the phone and you answer it, so that's the routine, that's your typical habit. And then the reward is you get to find out why the person was calling or you know it fulfills your curiosity about why your phone is ringing, all that type of thing. And what happens is that if the reward is positive over the long term, then you, know, you enjoy having that curiosity fulfilled when your phone rings or you enjoy mm -hmm. getting that feeling each time you run it's a positive feedback loop and it tells you next time it gets to be 5:30 and I'm done with work I want to go run again right and that feedback loop you know goes around and around and around and eventually it becomes a habit and the power of that is that if you understand how habits work you can start to structure your day to improve the odds of you working out or of you taking a particular action because you can you know implement these little reminders or tie them to your typical routine to remind you to work out or you can develop a reward that will be make it beneficial for you to do the good behaviors and not beneficial for you to do the bad ones and you can start mm -hmm. to manipulate your behavior that way and and end up making it easier for you to follow the things that you want to do yeah no i agree sort of you know scheduling like that i mean yeah, my habit you know i've gotten it's taken me years you know to build these good habits but you know even now i've got a you know, I've got a wife and a 14-month-old son, and you know, and I'm training for a marathon right now. And people wonder, you know, how how do you how do you make the time to do it, or how do you how do you find the time? And and the key is, you know, you make you make the time, and that's all part of the habit is you know, enjoying do it and seeing a goal and, and making the time to do it. 
Yeah, having that type of commitment or determining what your priorities are and proceeding with purpose, I mean, those things are all, it's, you know, I'm sure your life is very, very busy right now, but it's it's definitely doable. It just comes down to what is important to you and how do you structure the rest of your day to make that possible. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, let's move on a bit here to, I mean, I could talk about habits for a long time, as I'm sure you could, but um, let's move on to nutrition. Now, I know you're a fan of uh, intermittent fasting. I've read a bit about uh, what you're doing there on your site. Um, so for those people who don't know what intermittent fasting is, can you just give us a brief rundown? Sure. So the basic idea is that with intermittent fasting, it's not, it's not a diet. It's simply a schedule for your meals. So it's, it's about when you eat, not necessarily what you eat. So you could, you could eat any diet and still intermittent fast. But the way that intermittent fasting works, and there's a couple different varieties. I, I break this down. I wrote a really long guide called the Beginner's Guide to Intermittent Fasting. And I break down all the different variations of intermittent fasting in that. But the three main categories are you, can, you fast for a particular period of time. So, for example... You could fast for 24 hours once a week or once a month. That would be an intermittent schedule of fasting. Um, some more serious clinical trials have found that intermittent fasting reduces like the risk of cancer or even um, reduces cancer tumors that are already apparent in the body. And so sometimes cancer patients will be put on an intermittent fasting schedule. Those are typically more aggressive where they would fast for 24 hours maybe every other day or every third day. Mm -hmm. um, for daily uh, healthy people and building habits, I find that those two schedules are a little harder to keep. The alternate day intermittent fasting that the cancer patients do is just very intense and usually not reasonable for most people to fast every other day. Um, and then the once a month fasting is fine, but because it's so rare, it's easy to forget to do it. And, you know, it ends up being the type of thing where it's like very sporadic. And so you may not see as, as many benefits from it. The type, the third type, the type that I do is a daily type of intermittent fasting where you eat all of your meals in an eight hour block. So typically for me, it's like from say 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. And then you spend the other 16 hours fasting where all you really have, well, all I have is water, but you could also drink tea or coffee if you wanted, you know, whatever. Um, the benefits of this are that typically when you eat a meal, so if you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, Typically, when you eat a meal, your body digests the food, so it spends a couple hours digesting the meal that you eat. Then you spend a few hours in what's called the post-absorbative state, and that's a state where your body's still, it's done like actively digesting, but you're not necessarily, biologically speaking, you're not in a fasted state. And finally, after about 8 to 12 hours after you've had your last meal, you enter the fasted state. And the benefit of the fasted state is that it reduces your insulin levels, which makes it easier for your body to burn fat. When your insulin levels are high, which is typically what it's like after you've eaten or when you're in that post-absorbative state or digesting food, it's harder for your body to burn fat. And so the advantage of intermittent fasting is that you can still get the same amount of calories, you just box it into a smaller time frame, but because you have 16 hours between meals, you actually get into that fasted state for the last four to eight hours, and so it makes it easier for your body to burn fat. So what a lot of people find when they start intermittent fasting is that they, if they do a good job of eating, they can maintain the same number of calories, but they'll actually start to gradually lean out and lose fat without having to change much of their lifestyle or without changing their diet. And for me, I was actually looking to gain weight when I started, which was very difficult because if you're the problem with switching from from eating like three meals throughout the day to eating, say, two larger meals in the middle of the day is that it's really difficult to get the same amount of calories. You really have to be dedicated yeah. to eating a lot. And I did all right with it for a little while. But what I found was it was hard for me to put weight on. I did lean out. I cut from about 14 uh, percent body fat down to about 10 but, um, but it was more difficult for me to, to keep weight on. So I still, I still went up a little bit. I think I went up five or 10 pounds, but I wasn't able to add a lot of weight. Um, so that's the, the general gist of how it works and the way that I implement it on a daily basis. Do you, um, is there any other metrics you have, um, with regard to you know, your, your progress, I guess, like, and I'm thinking more along the lines of, 
um, you know, cholesterol levels or something like that? I mean, uh, is that something you've looked at? So I haven't tra- tracked cholesterol levels. It, it is a good question, but I haven't tracked it. Um, <clears throat> what I have done is tracked my performance in weight training and in weightlifting and, you know, just seeing how it affected my workouts, whether or not I felt, you know, energized or lethargic, you know, how, how I was able to deal with training. And I don't have much experience training for endurance uh, events like triathlons or marathons with it. I know there are some um, triathlons or marathoners who do intermittent fasting. In general, I think I would be a little more careful of doing like long distance stuff while in the fasted state. But I've seen no ben- or no detriment to my training uh, fasted for strength training. So. I still made gains in the gym. I was still able to have plenty of energy when I was working out. Typically, I'm able to structure my day so that when I work out, I can have a large post-workout meal right afterwards. Yeah. Um, and, and that's actually a good point to bring up. I think that the impact that it had on me, so leaning out, gaining a little bit of muscle, and also making strength gains all at the same time, which usually are somewhat contradictory goals, um, being able to do all those things at once, I think was a result not only of intermittent fasting, but also of good training and nutrition and rest. And perhaps more importantly than the fasting, carb cycling. So I eat a lot of carbs on the days that I work out and very few on the days that I don't. Um, I'm typically high protein, moderate fat every day. And then um, in addition to that is also nutrient or calorie cycling where I eat more on the days that I work out and run a slight calorie deficit on the days that I don't. And so that makes it easier for me to burn fat on those days. Okay. Are you uh, tracking your calories or? I did actively track my calories in the beginning. I don't track them on a day-to-day basis now. I just have a general, I have a general idea for, you know, what, how big a meal is for me and how that works with my, you know, my daily um, energy output. And so I just sort of follow that. But I, I went through all the math once and if I'm being totally honest about it, um, I find it to be very tedious and a huge hassle to track <laughs> calories on, on a consistent basis. And for the general happiness of my life, um, I don't think it's worth my time. Um, but uh, <laughs> I agree. It's a good process to do once in a while because it, what it does, it really builds your awareness of the food you're eating. And, you know, you realize, wow, I didn't realize, you know, that muffin or, yeah. or, or whatever has that many calories. So it really just raises your awareness, um, which is, you know, but yeah, I agree doing it, you know, every day for, for life. I mean, that would be very tedious, but once in a while doing it, it, it sort of raises your awareness levels again. Yeah. Um, and- if you're a bodybuilder, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe that's really important for what you do. And so, you know, you can find a reason or to do it or to make it worth your while. But for most people and athletes included, I don't really think it's necessary, but I do agree with you. It is great to raise the awareness and know, you know, what you're eating and the macronutrients of each and actually get a pretty clear picture of, of what is a good food for your uh, diet and what's a bad one or, you know, what matches up with your goals or what doesn't. Yeah, exactly. And um, you made a point too about um, the fasting state with regards to endurance training or endurance athletes. Um, you know, I can make a point now. Actually, my coach has had me do a couple of my Sunday uh, long runs from a marathon training uh, in a fasted state, actually. So I'm getting up in the morning not having breakfast and going out and running, you know, 25, 30K. And the idea is uh, very similar to what, what you're explaining. is basically um, to get, get my body used to using fat as a fuel source um, and not relying sort of on that on the glycogen stores because, you know, the idea being when you get laid into a marathon, your, your sugar stores and glycogen stores are going to be down. So if you can train your body to use that fat, which, you know, everyone, no matter how skinny you are, you've got – Know, enough fat to get you through a marathon. If you can train your body to use that fat, then you're going to be, um, you know, have better success, especially late in that endurance activity. That's interesting. So you haven't, have you seen any issues training in the fasted state? I haven't yet. Um, but it, it did surprise me because I went out, you know, for my first one and, you know, I told my wife, I go, Hey, listen, I'm going out with, without any food. I'm not bringing any Gatorade or anything. Um, she's like, you better have ID on you. So, <laughs> so, um, uh, anyways, you know what? It went surprisingly well. Obviously I just, it was a slow paced run and, um, it was fine. And, um, you know, 
and I've got a couple more before my marathon, which is actually May 5th, but um, it, it really surprised myself that it, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, um, and, and I do hope that, you know, come marathon day, when I get sort of 20 miles in, that that's going to help me, so, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, that's good to hear. I think that you're, based on how you described it there, I think your experience is pretty um, indicative of what most people would see. The I think the only time you would run into trouble is if you're if you're doing extreme energy expenditure without giving yourself you know the caloric intake to handle that. Um, typically, if you eat well, what affects your training, like say in the morning, is typically what you ate the 24 hours before that. So as yeah. long as you get decent nutrition the day before and hydration the day before, the two days before you should end up being just fine. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, but yeah, it's just something to consider. That is interesting though. It's good to hear about your experience. Yeah, we'll see. I'll keep you updated. Nice. Um, so moving on here, um, with regards to health and wellness, you know, besides working out nutrition, uh, what else matters to you sort of from, um, you know, health and wellness or just from a general lifestyle standpoint? Um, is there any other things you work on, you know, like stress or, um, Anything else? Oh man, I love that question so much. That's such a good it's such a good question to ask. I one of my main focus points or one of my main goals with what I write about on jamesclear.com is to not just talk about uh, exercise and nutrition, but to talk about what it means to live a healthy life and what, you know, what is encompassed in that. And I think that that being healthy has a lot more to do than just with what you eat and how much you move. Um you know, the work that we do on a consistent basis, whether or not we're contributing value to society, the amount of fulfillment that we get from our jobs, the amount of stress that we feel from our jobs, um, the type of relationships that we have on a daily basis, whether or not we have close connection with our friends and our family members and our spouses, the type of support that you get from your friends and family. Those are all things that would typically be classified as non-health related issues that significantly impact or directly manifest themselves in your physical health. And I think that, that I spend a decent amount of time trying to consider how those different factors impact not only my health, but also the, also the health of the people in my community and how we can best structure our lives to take advantage of that. Um, I think there's probably a lot of people who go to a physician and complain about some type of you know, health problem, or they feel ill, they feel sick, they don't quite feel well. And honestly, you know, they may be prescribed a drug that treats the symptom, but the real cure for that disease or for their struggle is often something that is one of these non-health related type of things. You know, it's finding a different job that doesn't stress you out so much, or starting to do some type of art or create creative process that allows you to contribute something to society or provide value to the people around you. Um, volunteering for an organization or a community cause that allows you to feel like you're valued and that you're contributing, um, improving your personal relationships with the friends around you or the, the family members or the spouse that you have, you know, spending time being grateful each day or expressing some type of gratitude for the life that you live. These are all things that research has actually proven are directly tied to our health. So, when you ask, you know, which of those things are important to me or which of those things do I actively do something about, um, photography is certainly one. That's a creative outlet for me. That's a way for me to, you know, create some type of value in society or just do something for fun or something that I enjoy and just share something with the world. And mm -hmm. so I think that that's a key one. I also have a habit where each day before I eat dinner, I talk about something that I'm grateful for that day. And I think a lot of people have something similar to that, but just expressing gratitude on a daily basis has been proven to not only increase your happiness, but actually improve your health. There was a research study done, and I can't remember the exact details of where the study came from, but the basic premise was they had two groups and they did the exact same things health and fitness wise, diet wise, but one group, the difference was they had this gratitude journal where they would write like three things that they were grateful for each day. And at the end of the three month study, the people who did that, where that was the only significant difference between them and the other group, showed fewer hospital visits, fewer physician visits, lower rates of illness and sickness and disease, and actually had better overall physical health, not just mental health. 
And so I think that that all of those different areas play a significant role in our physical health. And I do my best to practice it on a daily basis, but I also spend a lot of time researching it and trying to provide good ways that, you know, that our community or my community can implement those ideas in their own life. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you got to look at health and wellness and, you know, outside of just the working out and eating healthy, um, box, you know, there's so many things that go into it. And again, I mean, it's a massive topic, but, um, you know, there's, there's lots of things you can do. I mean, I know I've experimented a bit with meditation and, um, I loved it to be honest. I, after a month, I noticed so much more difference in my, um, you know, level being able to deal with stress, um, and not getting so stressed out over things at work or daily life, etc. So, um, you know, again, that's a, a massive thing for people just to, to look at not just you know working out and nutrition for their health. Yeah, meditation is a great example. Um, that I think one of the primary benefits of meditation, and I haven't done enough of it myself to, to really consider myself a practitioner, but I have played with it from time to time. Um, I think one of the main benefits is that it teaches you to resist. You know, when something calls you in the middle of your meditation practice or when you think about all the things you need to do throughout your day, the tendency would be to op- wake up, open up, you know, open up your email, start typing or send a message or write down, you know, something on your to-do list. But if you can learn to resist that temptation during the meditation, then I think that also translates to many other areas of your life. You learn to resist the urgency of, you know, every everything in your life seems to be urgent or everything that your boss asks you to do seems to be urgent. You can resist a little bit of that stress and put that away and then just see the task for what it is. Um, I know that, you know, in addition to you, there are pretty much any top performing CEO or executive has some type of routine, whether it's meditation or otherwise, that allows them to center themselves like that and, you know, and find some way to alleviate some of the stress or separate themselves from the urgency of, of the everyday matters. Yeah, exactly. And uh, actually, one thing, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, my wife and I have a 14-month-old son, and um, it's funny, you know, people would think maybe your first child could be a bit stressful or, any, or something. You know, obviously, it's one of the best things that's happened in my life, but the one, the, one of the biggest things I've noticed is actually it makes you live in the moment having kids. And I don't know if uh, I don't know if you have any kids or other people out there have experienced that as well, but um, it's almost sort of like meditation in a way. You, you're, you know, because you're so focused and um, you know on your little one and and trying to teach them things and loving them, etc. Um, you know, I don't know many times where I've lived this much in the moment. So, uh, and, and meditation is a thing that can help you with that as well. That's a great indication too. Of I, I mean, I think that type of that active focus, right, to be like fully engaged in in that moment, I think is so key, not just for, not just for, you know, not missing your child's life or being there for it, but also just for finding happiness and joy from what's going on around you. If you can learn to, to translate that skill to the other areas of your life, you know, how much more grateful would you be for the life that you get to live if you're fully engaged in it? Exactly. Um, so James, so in respect to your time, we've been going for a while here, but I mean, I think I could go for a, a you know, another hour or so, but we won't. Um, do you have any favorite fitness, nutrition, or health uh, resources, websites, books um, that you you know call on on a day-to-day basis, or or when you need to, or? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, honestly, I think the best things that I've learned from fitness and health have been from two areas. One, from practicing it and from just actually doing it and seeing what works for me. Because I think what I think what a lot of people want is for, you know, someone to come to them, tap them on the shoulder and hand them a sheet that says, you know, just do this. Do this workout or follow this template or, you know, eat these foods or follow this diet and it'll work for you. And I think it's tempting for all of us to want that. But the truth of the matter is what works for me and what works for you will actually be slightly different than what works for, you know, someone who's listening to this. And so I think the result is, you know, we look around and whether it's prescription drugs or, you know, diet plans or some type of, you know, workout program, when we try to translate that onto everybody in society, it's like telling everyone to wear a medium sized shirt and hoping it'll fit them all, right? Mm-hmm. Not everybody's like that size. And so I think one of the best benefits of, that I've gained from health and wellness is just from practicing it and seeing what works for me. It doesn't mean that, 
if something doesn't work for you and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're broken or that you're a failure or that, you know, you're doing it wrong. I mean, you know, you have to learn how to do the things that you're, that you're trying, but it's quite possible that it just doesn't work for you and you need to try something else. And so I think being a practitioner is probably one huge area. Um, the second thing is honestly, it's been from great coaching. I think that one of the best benefits or one of the biggest, uh, most useful suggestions, I should say, that I could give to someone is to get out there and engage with other people who are practicing the things that you want to do. You know, if you want to be a great runner, go talk to people who are running. If you want to be a great weightlifter, go talk to people who are weightlifting. If you want to learn about health and nutrition, talk to people who are already eating clean and eating healthy. And these are people who can not only give you insight into the areas where you can find good information for the things that you want to do, but also can give you insight about what it means to practice those things on a daily basis and what it means to actually live life in that way. And mm -hmm. in many ways, the, the daily practice of those things is perhaps more beneficial than the, uh, the research or the studying of them. Um, and so I would say that's my two main suggestions. But with that said, I have done my best to put together a list of resources for the people in your audience, Mark. And so if they go to jamesclear.com slash HN for healthy nomics, jamesclear.com slash HN, there's a download there for them where they can get the intermittent fasting guide that I talked about earlier if they want to learn more about that. They can get the guide on identity-based habits and how they can improve their habits. And then also a couple resources about getting started with health and fitness and wellness, reasons for lifting weights, and um, a variety of habit-based uh, formation articles that we sort of mentioned in the interview. Hey, that's awesome, James. Thanks very much. Um, and I'll definitely um, put a link to that uh, in the post for this podcast. Um, so we'll end our chat here. Um, where can we keep up with what you're up to um, Yeah, going forward? Yeah, for sure. So most of my writing, especially around health and wellness, is all on jamesclear.com. So the best place for you to go is right there. And if you have any questions, there's a contact form on the website. I'm happy to answer or help anybody out who's got a question about you know particular training or nutrition stuff or just general ideas about what it means to live a healthy life. And um, jamesclear.com is the best place to go. That's awesome. We'll, uh, we'll end it there. And uh, James, thanks so much for your time and expertise. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, Mark. Thank you.